Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Radio Show 301, The Future of Staff Feedback, Take 2, or should I say Part 2. So today we're going to be talking about staff feedback and specifically starting off with our guests' predictions from this time last year and see how far uh, they've come along since then. So it's uh, going to be an interesting uh, spin on uh, the discussion around staff feedback. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. And the Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today, a year later, is Tony Latter, CEO and co-founder of the Happiness Index. Welcome, Tony. Thanks for coming back again. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for having me back. You must have enjoyed it so much last time that you came straight back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that, yes. Um, and for people who, who don't know, when I say straight back, we book our radio show currently about a year ahead. So Tony really did go and book his uh, return almost as soon as we'd finished the, the last one last year. So uh, so thank you for, for coming back. So let's start by you just reminding everyone who you are what, and what you do, who the Happiness Index are. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Tony Latter. I'm one of the co-founders of the Happiness Index. And we're an organization that believes that all employees should have the freedom to be human at work. So what that means is that they don't have to compromise on who they are in order to fit into a culture. And the, the way that we do that is we give employees a voice for employee feedback. So we believe that happy employees create happy customers, which creates a inspired business performance. And we talk a lot around inspired business performance rather than profitability, because profitability is one element of a business. But there are so many other areas where employee feedback is used to improve the performance of a business that may be through an individual, somebody who's joined a business, who's grown significantly throughout their time there through learning and development, or it could be through teams. And that's why we tend to talk around inspired business performance rather than focusing just purely on profits. Lovely. And so uh, it's all about getting feedback from people, but in sort of various different ways. And we, I think we've interviewed a number of people over the years who do sort of surveying of one shape or form. And, and a lot of our interview last year focused on the fact that you're very much sort of in the moment with uh, the sort of frequency of the surveying that you do. Perhaps you could talk a bit about that because then your predictions were about things becoming um, much more sophisticated from a technology point of view. So start a bit with the sort of frequency of and how you sort of go out about um, getting that feedback, and then we can dive into what those predictions were and see how far things have come. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of frequency, when we did the podcast last year, we talked a lot around pulse surveys and around how there was a transition mm -hmm 
away from the annual engagement surveys and into something that was of a more frequent nature, something that was more in the moment. And over the course of the year, that principle still stands. An annual engagement is a very good part within an overall engagement strategy, but not necessarily the only thing that companies should be doing. And so we've seen lots of companies move as well as having their annual survey. They are also having pulse surveys. But one of the things that we've been working on over the course of the last year, which has proved really popular with our clients, is what we call always-on feedback. So what this means is that the nature of feedback has changed significantly because in the past, anything that was related to, say, an employee feedback program always revolved around three things. The first one being the organization asking you the questions that they wanted to ask. It would also be at a point in time where they wanted to ask those questions. And then the third one was the way in which you responded was controlled by the organization, generally via email or paper. So over the last year, we've been using technology to help speed up this process and get what we call truly in the moment feedback. And what we mean by that is you have the ability to provide feedback at any point in time about any subject that you want through any medium that you want. So no longer is it just emails, but you can do it via text messaging, voice technology, kiosk. There are phone numbers that you can call. And this is trying to capture what we call emotional feedback. So if you think of an annual survey, that's providing you with your strategical feedback. If you think of pulse surveys, they're often capturing tactical elements that come up in those moments. And over the course of the year, we've worked really hard with our tech team and our developers in order to create a new piece of technology that allows us to capture that emotional feedback, which is how are you feeling right there and then in that moment in time and being able to go on your phone and just provide that feedback there and then. What that gives you is that gives you a real kind of different perspective on what your heart versus your head would say. And that's incredibly powerful for understanding the sentiment within organizations. Whereas if you had your, say, annual survey or your poll surveys, often there's an element of rationalization, feedback being given. But what we wanted to capture was that raw emotion. And it's incredible how using that feedback and tapping into that feedback can drive real change within organizations. That sounds both amazing and scary all at the same time. <laughs> Just thinking about, as you say, that, that sort of in-the-moment emotion when something has gone horribly wrong and somebody wants to you know, complain about it and obviously not all of the feedback is, is negative but I'm just thinking oh my god you know as you say sometimes uh, you get that feedback but after people have had time to sort of calm down and think more clearly and, and what we're saying here is that actually there might be that actual in the moment real emotion that comes through. Talk us through a bit how, how that works and what sort of examples you've had with organisations. Yeah, so in terms of in the moment feedback, I can give you an example uh, from myself. So I was at home and I was cooking uh, some dinner. I've got a six-year-old, I've got a three-year-old, I was cooking them some dinner. And something popped into my head about um, what happened during the day. And I thought, okay, I could either wait until tomorrow and talk to somebody about it, or I could put it, wait until my, our next post survey. But I wanted to get this just out of my mind so that it was captured somewhere that we could then go away and work on it as an organization, but it wasn't sitting on my shoulders or I didn't have that responsibility of the next day remembering to go and give this feedback. So I was listening to some music on mm -hmm. Alexa and I just said, Alexa, stop, take the happiness index, 
um, always on. And then I was able to provide my feedback there and then. It took less than 30 seconds. And then Alexa carried on playing the song that I was listening to before. So it's just a really quick way mm -hmm. of being able to capture those kind of in the moment thoughts and emotions and feelings. So that's one way in which we captured it. I'll give you an example of what a difference that it has made. So one of our clients, um, they were having a particular issue with um, so it's some resources, so effectively some equipment that they were using um, wasn't linked up to other machinery around the organization. So effectively they'd installed a huge amount of these devices, but they didn't have the ability to connect into their own inboxes. And so one of our clients received lots of feedback from people who've received a demo on it saying, this looks great. They captured the feedback there and then thinking we've made a great decision. Everyone's really happy with it. And then over time they started to receive lots of feedback through always on saying, oh, just tried using this new piece of technology we bought in, but I can't access my own inbox. And they kept receiving this a number of times. And it's because they needed to upgrade the package in order to get the connectivity, which they then subsequently did. Mm. It was an oversight in the procurement team that that's something that needed to happen in order to unleash that function. So that's just a really good way of them being able to get feedback in the moment, find a solution that um, they could then roll out quickly. And therefore, they were that was a much bigger success for the technology than otherwise it would have been without that connectivity. So that's just a really quick mm. example of how our clients are using it to make changes within a matter of days rather than weeks or months waiting for a pulse survey. Yeah, it, it just sounds real, just like real conversation with people sort of thing. So, you know, that true employee voice piece of pe people being able to contribute to development sort of, you know, in the moment. How, how does it work logistically, like at the other end? What do you get as the as the person, the employer? Is it is it um, I don't know. What does it look like? <laughs> yeah, you get a real time dashboard, so you're able to go in right. and you're able to identify trends. So you're able to identify trends over the period of a month, a quarter, half year, and so on. You're able to see all of the comments that have come in. So with the verbatim comments, you have word clouds which are showing you the key themes that sit behind it. You've got a register of how many pieces of feedback you've received over a given period of time. Because one of the things that we wanted to monitor with our clients was, is this something that people are going to use heavily at the beginning? But then over time, forget that always on is available. And then just the level of feedback starts yeah. to drop off. We haven't seen that. What we've seen is we've seen a really good adoption. People are using it. And the mm. more they use it, the the more the responses keep coming in, which is really positive, which is showing that, first of all, one, it's this is something that is being embraced by employees. And number two, this is something that employers are looking at and are embracing and building into part of their culture. So that's what, yeah. uh, what you yeah. see at, at that stage. What was really interesting was a moment ago, Joe, you mentioned around the employee being part of the conversation. And this, again, is one of the developments within the technology over the course of the past year since we recorded the previous podcast. We've been working really hard in order to provide feedback in a conversational style. So when you text always on, so you can text a, um, an always on number and you'll receive a message back. And it's about a three, yeah. four message transaction, like kind of dialogue that you go through. And the reason why we wanted to create it as a conversation is just to make it feel more human to 
open up a more emotional mm-hmm. response that you may be giving to ensure that it feels as if you're talking to somebody and you're sharing an issue. And by doing that, it has yeah. a cathartic effect. And that's one of the things that we've worked really hard on is create that conversational style of gathering feedback. Yeah, so it doesn't feel like you're sort of sending something into a black hole and then it relies on further follow-up to feel like it was worth doing. You've got that in the moment sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How exciting. <laughs> Sounds really exciting. So the other things we, we talked about, we um, we talked about um, the, the potential of facial recognition and, and picking up sentiment of people in, in a building because because it's seeing what people are looking like sort of thing. Or what's happening about that? Yeah, the technology is there for facial recognition. I'm just not sure that the market's ready for it. I think people get concerned Mm. around facial recognition and it being intrusive. And what is that data being used for? So in terms of the technology, that's absolutely there. It's more around the principles and the willingness of the, the market and for employees to feel comfortable with that. And that's probably the biggest barrier that we've seen over the course of the year between advancements in technology and the adoption within organizations. When we talk around voice technology, people are really happy to introduce that into the organization. When you talk around facial recognition, all of a sudden you can tell that the tone of the conversation starts to change. (laughs) And I think it's one of those where people feel very uncomfortable talking to employees around this. It feels as if having something visual is a greater intrusion on the employee than maybe mm. other forms of feedback. So our plans are still very much that we are looking at this and monitoring that situation and speaking with our clients and kind of others within the industry just to see whether there is a change in that viewpoint. At this point in time, we, we haven't seen that. But one of the things that we have seen coming through is looking at other areas of buildings. So we're doing some work with a consultancy firm at the moment, which is around looking at the data they gather from their buildings, such as CO2 levels, coffee consumption, temperature within the buildings, and what relationship that plays with happiness of the staff and productivity. And one of the things that's really interesting is I see this as kind of a way of moving more into smart buildings and buildings and people and the relationship with buildings and people being more closely aligned in order to create the best employee experience and the best environment for people to be productive. So I can see that that's an area that we will move into before we then start moving into facial recognition because I just don't feel we're there yet with facial recognition. No, no. I just, you think about, you know, uh, coffee consumption and happiness you, it could be both ways people would be drinking lots of coffee because they're really stressed or they're really tired or they could just really love coffee and they're happy <laughs> yeah absolutely what, what, <laughs> yeah what's been really interesting to see is that when we see high levels of coffee consumption within an organization normally around 24 to 48 hours later we see a, uh, a dip in the employee happiness so that's one of the things that our occupational psychologist is exploring with the, the company that we've been running this pilot with is to try and understand whether there is a, a link there. It's happened a number of times, so yeah. that's what's got us interested from a data point of view. 
but our occupational psychologist yeah. is really interested in this to try and see whether there is an element of causality between it and then if so should that what role does the organization then play in terms of readily making coffee readily available for example so it's quite mm. an interesting mm. area to uh to be looking into so yeah i'll uh i'll keep you posted on how we're, we're coming along with that pilot yeah well we, one of the things we said we did mention briefly last year was about um machine learning and, and using scores to look at sort of predictive analytics and we were just talking before we came on air about the fact that you said that you know that that's still you know potentially coming but it just requires so much data in order to 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 do that and i guess this is one of those examples that, that you've seen that there's something happening but you've got to really unpick it first to see if that there is that causation otherwise you know you end up making assumptions that, that aren't true yeah absolutely yeah and i think that's one of the things that i as an insights provider to our customers that's a responsibility that we take really seriously that if we are to use mm. predictive analytics we need to be sure that there is a really high level of confidence in those predictions and at the moment mm. we're working mm. through the the data we're testing the model and we we've had some successful uh, results but not to the point where we feel that we are ready to push that mainstream and push that kind of live into our, our platform and make that generally available for all of our customers I think we're well on that mm-hmm. way, but you, you have to be very mindful around that because often what can happen in these situations is people take a, a predicted outcome, then make decisions based on that predicted outcome, which could have some big Im- impacts across uh, an organisation. Mm-hmm. So we just want to we want to keep yeah. working on it, and we want to just keep improving that level of accuracy before we make that generally available but that's something that's going to be really exciting and something that clients that we speak to and when we speak at events it's certainly a topic that's on everybody's mind is when when do we think that predictive analytics is going to be generally available not just through our product but across the market Mm -hmm. it's interesting talk talk us a bit through where does this come from in terms of your organisation? Because a lot of survey companies are very much, you know, survey, here's the data, you know, this is what your staff think, what you're going to do now sort of thing. It strikes me that tech is really key for what you're doing and you, you're doing some quite innovative stuff. I mean, this, this isn't across the industry at the moment, is it? No, it's not. Um, and innovation is something that we're, we're really keen to drive. Partly because that's where our, our business started. So it's five years ago we started the Happiness Index. And I remember going into meetings and talking to people around poll surveys and people just thinking, why, why would we want to do that? Why, why don't we just stick with the annual survey? So I think as a marketplace, we, we are moving forward. The employee feedback area is definitely moving forward. We're, people are more comfortable with the idea of poll surveys now. And that's a an innovation that we are at the front of. And we see ourselves as a company mm. that wants to be innovating and driving improvements uh, across the organization. So as I mentioned in the beginning, our, our vision is freedom to be human. And we want to help companies do that so that their employees don't feel they have to mold around a culture in order to fit in. But they've got a, a way of voicing 
their, their opinions, voicing their thoughts in order to help shape that culture. So we think that one of the ways in order to do that is just to keep innovating, keep driving change within the marketplace. And always on, I'm sure, is going to be uh, very successful based on the, the clients we've been running it with and the feedback that we've been receiving. And also, what can we then bring in next? Because I think the days of people asking a survey and then us as a provider saying, here's a mechanism in order for you to ask your survey. Here are your results, mm. but don't apply any insight. We just provide data back. I think those days are numbered for companies now because why wouldn't you just use something like SurveyMonkey if you're going to do that? It's really around mm. how do you drive the value and the value that a lot of our clients associate with working with us. One is the innovation. Another is the ways in which they can receive feedback from the staff and making it more molding around the way that people work rather than email or purely paper. But then the other one that uh, resonates with a lot of our clients is the value that we add through our reporting services, whether that be through the online dashboard, the online reports, or whether that's our uh, offline reporting service that we provide, which is written by our occupational psychologists. So that's why I think innovation and driving change uh, is, is really important for us to differentiate ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And you talked to, about culture um, somewhere amongst that. <laughs> um, it strikes me this is what you're sort of reflecting back to organisations, what their culture is from all of these sort of data points that, that you're gathering. How are you doing that? What does that look like? You probably know more about people's culture than they do because of all the data that you have. Is that fair? Yeah, we have, yeah, we we have we have a lot of data, um, but one of the things that we're re we're really keen to work with our clients on is trying to help them visualise their culture. So, when you walk right. into an organisation, we we know that culture is there. We can feel it, but we can't see it. It's an intangible that we want to help companies be able to see what is happening within their business. We want to try and make something intangible tangible. So when I talk to organizations, I, I think about Google Maps when I'm explaining it to them. So if you look at a map of, uh, let's just say, a city from the 1800s, you've got a, a drawing. Whereas now when you look on Google Maps, you've got a digital image. You've, you can move that image. You can find points of interest around it. It's not just providing you with a map. It's providing you with insights of what's around that area. Um, if you're using Google Maps to help you get to somewhere, it's giving you insight on the best way in order to get there if there's days along the way. How do you do it? So mm. that's around trying that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do something similar, but visualizing that for culture. So we do that through dashboards to quantify and trend over a period of time. We do it through sentiment analysis and the way that we visualize that so that organizations can get a, a feel for the mood of their organization. We have things like mm. key driver analysis. So um, one of the questions we generally include within our surveys is on a scale of one to ten or a one to seven scale that an organization may choose, how happy are you to be working at this organization? So that's what we call an output question. And output questions are great to run a correlation analysis next to. So we're often, well, we can see within an organization what's the top three things that we should change in order to drive happiness within the business. 
So a, a client of ours who I won't name, but one of the key things that came out from a recent key driver analysis that they ran was if they had to focus on one thing in their organization, it was to improve line manager recognition with their staff. They felt that that organization felt that they had good levels of recognition on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, but not from a line manager to a, to an employee level. So they went, they worked on that one thing, and you could see six months later the the change in the the culture, the results was significant. That sounds really impressive. So, so the the people you tend to work with, I guess, are probably HR people. I was reading an article the other day that was saying how the role of HR is just really going to focus on data in the future and how you use those insights to, I guess, drive the experience, as, as we've already said. How, how do you support HR people to get the business bought into what you're doing with them? Yes, I think it's a really key question. It's around how, what do we do with this data? So if we think around the HR profession in, in general, they have never had access to more data than they do right now. But the key thing is about mm. what you do with that data and then how do you share that around the, the whole of the organization. So what we've been seeing is we've been seeing people embracing that data and being able to make changes within an organization, but not only make changes within the organization, but also say that in the past when we have made this type of decision, we have seen the culture or the happiness levels of our staff improve by X. So it helps improve decision making and also allows a more predicted outcome without running full predictive analytics, mm -hmm. but just by using experience. And that's how they've been able to buy in others within the organization because the level of successful decision being made within HR departments is becoming much higher because the level of data is helping them support those arguments and make those changes yeah. within businesses. Also, what we're seeing uh, a significant amount of it is overlaying different data sets. So when you said about who do we normally speak to, yes, it, we normally have an introduction in through a HR department, people director, for example. But during the course of our programs with our clients, we tend to talk to multiple stakeholders within the business because the power of that data is so rich that what we're able to do is overlay that data with other sets of data, such as financial data. So what you're able to see is a relationship between the sentiment of your people and financial performance. And what we're seeing time and time again is as the sentiment of people increases, the financial performance of the business improves as well. That's just one way in which that, that data can be used. But if we overlay it with operations and data so for example as we talked about the sensor data from smart buildings what happens with the conditions of the building and what impact does that then have on the happiness or the sentiment of the employees and then what impact does that then have on the profitability of the business as well so we're seeing more and more people wanting to see and play with this people data and that's what's really important is we see hr people being the ceos of tomorrow and if we looked at the marketing industry, if we went back 20 years, you wouldn't have thought that 
there would be many marketing CEOs because generally people tended to come through from a finance background or from a sales background because that was how you generated revenue. Mm. But as more and more data went into marketing, we're seeing more and more marketing CEOs than we ever have done before. I think that's a trend that's going to happen within the people element of a business as well. So within HR, we're going to see more and more HR people becoming the CEOs of tomorrow because they've had more data available to them than they ever have done in the past. Mm, mm. That's a really interesting point. And I hadn't even thought through that, that shift to the marketing side of things, as you say, but it does, you know, lend itself to saying that, you know, that, that will happen. That's good news for HR people, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. But only those ones that use the data effectively, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's part of what how we work with our clients is around educating them on how to read mm. the data. What does the data mean? How can you then use that data within your um, your decision making process? One of the things we provide yeah. a lot of data and insight, but one of the things that we we always talk to our clients about is don't just make decisions based on the numbers. So you know your organisations. Mm. And each organization, as we talked about earlier, has a culture. You can feel it, but you can't necessarily quantify it. We're trying to help organizations mm. visualize this. But if one of the things that comes with making decisions um, around data is you will either have data that will back up your initial instincts or it will mm. contradict that. And I think where really yeah. smart business decisions are made is by understanding in which situations do you solely trust data or do you use your intuition with the data as well? I think when you start getting yeah. that, the confidence in your own decision-making as an individual, but also a people department and you get more confidence in that, that's really where you start leading into the mixture of what we tend to call kind of a, a data-led organization and a people-led organization. Mm. So you'll get some out there mm. which will mm. just make decisions based on numbers but won't take into account the other elements as well, whereas we really encourage yeah. our clients in order to yeah. not only look at the data but trust their intuition and use the two together. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Thank you, Tony. That's been a really fascinating show again. We need to get you back, don't we, another year or two. <laughs> I'd love to come back, actually. Lovely. Thank you. And just to let you know, next week, Jo Moffat will be back, and she's talking to Kieran Faller, who's co-founder and CEO of Workio, and they're um, talking about how to make work better through unlocking the power of culture. So a nice follow-on from this week's show. So they look forward to catching you next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.